So all of us have had experiences in our life where we were doing something or giving a talk or saying something, and it could be, you know, you're in sports growing up as a kid, or you're in school, or you're at your job or in your family, and you're, and you're doing it, and then somebody comes along who knows more than you do and says, you're actually wrong. Or actually, no, it's not really that way, it's actually this way, or you don't really know what you're talking about. All of us have had those experiences before. And if I were to hear each and every one of your stories about what that was like, my guess is they would fall into two different categories. Either that what they said and what they shared and how they shared it was constructive and helpful, or it was destructive and really tore you down and left you kind of wounded. And so today, the reality is, in everyday life, in biblical life, in everyday life, receiving feedback and correction is part of our jobs, it's part of our families, it's part of healthy friendships, and the scriptures command us to correct one another, to if you see somebody going astray or saying something that isn't really true, the scriptures tell us that we're supposed to correct them. But the question is, how do we give correction so that it's constructive and helpful to people rather than tear somebody down? So that's the first thing we're going to be looking at today. And the second thing is that we're not only called to give correction, we're actually called to receive correction. And the Bible tells us that, that if we're going to grow in our faith, we need to be willing to let other people speak into our lives. Sometimes hard words. So how can we walk with humility so that we can receive the correction that others give to us. So how do we give it in a helpful way, and then how do we receive it so it helps us grow? And that's exactly what our text focuses on in Acts today. Um, if you are, uh, if you've been following along with our sermon series, we're, we're talking about this idea of living the mission of God, that we are sent and living the mission of, the God, of God. And what we've been doing is looking at Paul's missionary journeys to see how he interacts and the things he does as a missionary and how that informs the way that we live as missionaries. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Acts 18. Verse 24 is where we're going to start. So we're, all, we're talking about this art of giving and receiving Christ-like correction. And the reality, as you flip over, this is 924 in the Pew Bible— Acts 18. As you flip over, it's not just relatable to our Christian life. It's relatable to how we parent. It's relatable if you're a boss of how you take care of and guide people underneath you. It's also relatable to how if you have somebody that's over you, how you take their feedback. It's, it's infinitely relatable to all aspects of our lives, to all relationships. So we've been looking at this life of Paul, but actually what we see here is this story isn't about Paul. This is about some people's lives that he's impacted. So as Acts goes on, it's not just about Paul, but we begin to see the ripple effect of his life. And this one is focused on this couple named Achilla and Priscilla. So if you look in the beginning of chapter 18, Paul leaves Athens, where we talked about last week. He leaves there, goes to Corinth, and he stays in Corinth for a good little while and begins to meet different people there. And he meets this couple named Achilla and Priscilla. Great names. And they are a Jewish Christian couple. So they're followers of Jesus. And they actually invite Paul to come live with them. And they also have more than their faith in common. They also have their occupation in common. That, they're, that Paul and Achilla and Priscilla are all tent builders. 
So Paul was trying not to be a burden on the churches that he was going to. And so he was raising funds and building tents. And so literally for months and months and months, they would get together and build these leather tents that they would sell. But you'll notice this about Paul. In everything that he does, he's always making disciples. His life is not compartmentalized. He doesn't think, well, you know, I'm just working with my hands right now, so I'm not going to, you know, do any discipleship. No, he takes the opportunity as they're working with their hands to work on their hearts, to teach them about the scriptures, to teach them how to follow Jesus, to teach them how to get closer to Jesus. He has this great discipleship impulse in all that he does. And so much so that he takes them and says, hey, I'm going to visit some churches. Do you want to come with me? So he trains them up and equips them. And then he goes from church to church to church and says, hey, watch me. Follow me. See how I'm interacting with these churches. And then they get to Ephesus. And he's like, I want you to stay here and I want you to help lead this church. And so he's discipling them to disciple others. He's leading them in order to lead others. So he leaves them there. And so here's this couple, Achilla and Priscilla, this married couple, and what I love about it is they're a married couple on mission together. That living the mission of God isn't just something we do as individuals. That it's something we do with our families, with your kids. And there, here's this, this couple, this married couple on mission together. And, and what I've found is that it really opens up. When, when Carrie and I see our lives as, as mission, when we, when we do mission together, it opens up a new dimension. So you have like our relationship, which is one dimension of the relationship. Then you have kind of our family, our extended family, our baby. That's another dimension. But then there's this third dimension of, of ministering to the people in our lives, going on mission trips. Talk to Mike and Heather about what their week was like. I guarantee it was a great week for their marriage when they went and served in Seoul in the city, Charleston, this past week. Talk to Todd and Lynn Ross who went to Guatemala together. It opens up a new dimension. And that's what we see Achilla and Priscilla doing here. They're living on mission together in their marriage. So they're in Ephesus and a new face shows up in town. This young little whippersnapper named Apollos. And he begins teaching super, really boldly in the, the synagogues. And then the next few verses, if you're in verse 24, it says a Jew named Apollos comes to Ephesus. And then it gives us two verses. It's almost like a little running resume for who Apollos is. And so go ahead and throw up that slide for me. So the first thing it tells us is that he was, is a native of Alexandria. So in the Jewish world, Alexandria was one of the central hubs of Jewish faith. Not only Jewish faith, but Jewish intellectual life. It's where the Septuagint was translated. It's where this great philosopher named Philos was. It, it's where all of these big things are happening. Scholars, thinkers are all gathered in Alexandria. So it would be the equivalent of somebody was like, they're like, hey, where'd you go to school? And they're like, oh, I went to a little college in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And you're like, just say it. You went to Harvard. Okay, we know. You're, you're smarter than I am. All right. And then, so he's a native of Alexandria. It says that he's eloquent. So he's an eloquent man, which means he's well-spoken. He's got a golden tongue. It says he's competent in the scriptures. So he knows the scriptures in and out really well. And the word competent there is dynamatos, which is the same word that we get dynamite from. So not only does he just have a bunch of head knowledge, but there's power in the way that he applies it in people's lives and applies it in situations. And then it goes on. It keeps going. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. And so people have taught him about Jesus that the way of the Lord Jesus, they've taught him about his teachings, about his way of life, the different things he did in his ministry. And then it says, and he was fervent in spirit. 
And that's a little bit ambiguous. It could mean that his spirit was fervent, that he was a passionate guy, and certainly it meant that because he would preach boldly. So he didn't just have a head full of stuff. He knew how to get to people's heart. He was passionate. But not only that, it could mean that he was fervent in the Holy Spirit, that he was, you know, the Holy Spirit was stirring him up. We don't really know exactly because what comes next is a little bit weird. It says, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So everything he knew about Jesus and taught about Jesus was right about Jesus. But then it says, though, he knew only the baptism of John. So this is the weird thing on his resume. You're like, What? Keep in mind, this isn't like three years after and the word didn't, you know, just didn't get there in time. This is 20 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost. So he knows about the baptism of John for repentance, but what he doesn't know about is the Great Commission to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't seem to know fully about the, the display of power at Pentecost. It's weird. It's like, he knows all of these things about Jesus, but he's in his time capsule and he doesn't know about this one aspect. And the funny thing is that he doesn't know that he doesn't know that. Right? Have you ever had that happen where you're talking about something and you're like, you think you know what you're talking about, but you really don't know what you're talking about? Happens to me all the time. Um, yeah, thank you. I'm not alone. Um, so... He doesn't know, but Achilla and Priscilla do know. So you can just hear them. They, they see this new guy in the synagogue and they hear him talking about the prophets pointing to the Messiah. And they talk about John the Baptist and how John the Baptist pointed to Jesus as the Messiah and said, you know, one is coming who's greater than I. And behold, the Lamb of God is Jesus. And he's teaching about Jesus' ministry and how he's the fulfillment of the Messiah. And then he gets to the boiling point where the people are saying, what do we do? What do we do? And he says, I want you to get baptized with the baptism of John. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, have you not heard of the Great Commission? No, it's supposed to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not the baptism of John, of repentance. It's supposed to be with repentance and fire. What the heck? And so what do they do? Now, this is speculation because we don't exactly know, but I want to talk about what we oftentimes do when we're put in the position of correcting someone, where we realize that somebody doesn't exactly know what they're talking about. And I want to draw on these resumes. So Apollos has a very, very impressive resume. And I want to go ahead and throw up the resume of Aquila and Priscilla, tent makers. And they hung out with Paul. <laughs> Not very impressive. And so what do they do? Um, oftentimes when we're put in the shoes of Aquila and Priscilla and there's somebody who is uber talented and uber articulate or uber really good at whatever it is that you do, we usually go in two directions when we realize that there's something that needs to be corrected. We either go towards kind of the prideful jealousy side and that is more like, oh yeah, Aquila, you're so gifted. Well, I'm going to bring you down a notch. You know, everybody thinks you're so great. Uh, Apollos, but you don't really know what you're talking about. I'm going to call you out. You're wrong, actually. It's the baptism of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come on. Everybody knows that. So there's the prideful jealousy part of us that wants to kind of lash out, and then there's the passivity part of us. So some people have the courage to correct, but maybe not the humility to do it with love. Or you have the humility not to embarrass somebody but you don't always have the courage to correct and to share with them. 
uh, you know, he's, he's almost right and he's young and I don't want to hurt his feelings or he's really smart, smarter than me and I, and I don't want to be wrong. And what we see is not, Achille and Priscilla don't, they're, they're not prideful and they're not passive. They walk the line of what I want to call humble courage. Humble courage. So let's look what they do. It says in verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside. So they didn't do it publicly. They didn't do it in the synagogue. They took him aside. They did it privately. And the, the wording there is, in Greek, makes it seem like they took him actually into their home. So they invited him over to their home and said, hey, they took him aside and said, we're going to do this out of the limelight. So that's the first thing. As you go to correct, as you go to correct people in your life, in your work, in your, with your family, do it privately. All of us have been publicly corrected and it feels like we're getting slapped in the face. They didn't do that. They took him aside and did it privately. And then the second thing is that they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And the, the phrasing of that is that they didn't roast him. They didn't say, you're so wrong. They explained it to him by just sharing with them, with him, what had been shared with them. Actually, let me explain it a little bit more to you. And that word more accurately is the same word that's used in verse 25, where it says that Apollo spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And so it's almost like, yes, you were accurate, but we want to make you more accurate, Apollos. That's what it says, the way of God more accurately. And so they do it gently. They say, yeah, you're, 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 you're on the right track, but we want to show you a little bit more. And so the first thing is we do it privately, and the second thing is we do it pridelessly. Privately and pridelessly. Now, I recognize that somebody's going to invite me over to their house this week, and be like, hey, Dan, uh, you, good sermon, but pridelessly is not a word. I know it's not a word, but I'm hoping it sticks in your, your mind next time you go to correct somebody. That I need to do it privately, and I need to do it pridelessly. I need to check my pride at the door. I need to do it gently with humility. That's what we see that Aquila and Priscilla do. They have humble courage. They're courageous enough to say the hard word, but they do it with humility and gentleness and patience. And the reality is, oftentimes when we look at the two resumes, most of our resumes look like Aquila and Priscilla. And most of our resumes don't really look like Apollos. But what I love about this passage, about this little marriage and the ministry impact that they have is that not everybody can be Apollos. Not everyone has great education, is an amazing speaker, all those different things. Not everyone's that. But anyone can be Aquila and Priscilla. The reality is the church, young people, less mature Christians need godly mentors. They need godly disciples who are going to walk alongside them, that are going to say the hard truth, but say it with such gentleness and kindness. I can point to the people in my life that took me aside, that walked alongside me, that corrected me when I needed correcting. And you can be that. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you have what it takes to be a godly mentor to somebody like Apollo, some little young whippersnapper that you're like, you know, he, can, he needs to be sanded down a little bit. Hey, take him out to coffee. Have him over for dinner, you and your spouse. Talk to him. 
Make that investment. So that's what we see at work. We see this humble courage in Aquila and Priscilla. And then I want to look at Apollos because the story isn't over. Apollos at this point could just write it off and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I, I was raised in Alexandria. You know, in Alexandria, we all know. He doesn't do that though. You can take down the slides now. Thank you. Um, she sees on the ball. She heard me say Alexandria and she put it right up there on the screen. That's impressive. Um, so Apollos receives, receives it, doesn't he? You see that not only does he, re he receives the word, and then he hears this word and he wants to share it with other people. And it says he wishes to cross to Achaia. The brothers encouraged them. So the, the, the church said, hey, we encourage you in this. They didn't say, you, you, know, you obviously don't know what you're talking about. You got to go to seminary for a long time. No, they said, hey, we encourage you. And they sent a letter to the church ahead of them saying, hey, Apollos is coming. Listen to him. And, but what I love about Apollos here is he had every right to be like, no, nah, you know, I know what I'm talking about, but he didn't. And a lot of times in our culture, the people that we think are mature, that are leaders, are those who are gifted, are those who seem independent, that they don't need anybody. But if you look at what a biblical picture of maturity looks like, especially if you look at the Proverbs, what you'll see is that true spiritual maturity is teachability, is the desire to want to learn from others, the recognition that I don't know what I'm talking about and I need to always be growing. I need to always let people speak into my life. And Apollos, he modeled that. That it's important for us to come under the authority of those in our life because they really do oftentimes know more than we do. And so we see that in Apollos. And so what I want to, to, to stress, just to summarize for us where we've been, is that in Priscilla and Aquila, we see this humble courage to give correction. And then in Apollos, we see this courageous humility to receive it. And God calls us both to have the courage to correct, but also the humility to receive correction. But the question is, how do we, how do we get that courage? Most of us are either born with lots of courage and very little humility, or Lots of humility, but oftentimes we don't have the courage to step up when we need to. So how do we get that courage? Because it's not really just about the principles. Because if you're prideful and you go to somebody and you do it privately and you, and you, tr and you, and you try to do it pridelessly, they're going to be able to read you. They're going to know that you're just rubbing it in their face. So how do you actually get your heart changed to approach the person with love? And if you look at the text... The two things that it says that these two had in common, Achilla and Priscilla and um, Apollos, is it says that Apollos in verse 25, that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. He knew the ways of Jesus. And then in verse 26, it says, they explained to him the ways of God. They both knew the way of God. And I think that there was something about walking in the way of Jesus, experiencing the way of Jesus, that, that gave them that humility and that courage. And I love this quote because the reality is, there's a quote from Eugene Peterson. The reality is oftentimes we may know the Jesus truth about something, but we don't, we don't share it in the Jesus way. And he says this, it's only when the Jesus truth is done in the Jesus way that you get the Jesus life. It's only when the, the Jesus truth, you know, the thing that's true, this person needs correction, done in the Jesus way, done the way Jesus does it, with gentleness and humility and patience, that's when you get the Jesus life in somebody.
That's when you see that fruit. And so what was it? What did they know about the way of Jesus? And I want to look at a story in the life of Jesus to illustrate the way that Jesus comes and corrects us and his patience and gentleness with us. And it was our gospel text. It's Matthew 10, verse 35. You don't have to flip there. You can just listen in. It says, James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to Jesus. This is right before he's about to go to the cross. And this is what they say. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, at that point, you'd be like, stop. No, I'm not going to do it. Like, don't, whatever you ask, it's going to be stupid. Don't do it. But listen to Jesus. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? That gentleness, walking alongside them. And they said to him, turns out it was stupid, um, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. So they're asking to be glorified with Jesus, one at his right when he sits on his throne. And Jesus said to them, listen to how he says it. He says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And they did. When he's talking about that, the baptism in the cup, he's talking about his suffering. And, and James was actually uh, martyred. And John was sent out to an island and exiled. So he says, actually, he's looking into their future and says, yeah, you will drink the cup. You will be baptized. But he says, but to sit at my right hand at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those whom it has been prepared. That's so gentle. You would think Jesus would be so frustrated up to his neck with it, but he's so gentle here. And that's the way he is with us. When we ask for crazy things or when we're, when we're not doing things right, he comes alongside us with gentleness and patience and corrects us. And then I want you to hear the way of Jesus. He says, you know that the Gentiles, with their authority, they lord it over people. But it shall not be so among you. The way of Jesus, the way that we do correction, the way that we parent, the way that we work, all of these different places, the way, it shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you would be your servant. Whoever will be first among you would be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Priscilla and Aquila, they knew the way of Jesus. They knew that they had to have the courage to step out, but they did it with gentleness. And Apollos, as talented as he was, he knew in his heart of heart the way of Jesus, so that he had the courageous humility to receive their feedback. And the kingdom of God was furthered through both of their ministries. So this week, I want you to think about what correction looks like in your life. Think about, is there somebody maybe in the last little bit of time that, you know, I said the hard truth to him, but I didn't really say it in the Jesus way. I need to circle back around and say, I'm sorry for the way that I said that. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that you, God's been prompting you, you, you need to say something. You need, to, you need to guide and correct and you know what they're doing, it's not good and it's not good for them. And you don't have the courage to do that. Well, it's through following Jesus, knowing his ways that we get the courage to say the hard thing. And then finally, has there been somebody in your life that's speaking a hard truth to you? And you've been kind of pushing it off, brushing it off. 
We'll pray for that courageous humility that Apollos had to receive that and ask God to change your heart to make that change in your life. May each of us become courageously humble as we seek to give and receive correction in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you not only that you give us your truth, but you give it according to your way with gentleness. We thank you for how you love us and guide and direct us with such patience. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us as we parent, as we work, as we interact with our friends. Lord, help us both to give and receive correction with humility and with courage. Come, Holy Spirit. Give us the strength we do not have and give us the humility we do not have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.